Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about the classics. My name is Chase, and I continue to be your mostly quiet producer. Today, we continue our discussion of A Christmas Carol, particularly centering on adaptations, particularly centering on one adaptation. If you want to support us, you can do so at our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can also find our website with a link to our merch store at shakespearepod.com. And now, on with the show. There is a thing with recording and editing podcasts, and I'm sure you, you, you all have noticed this, where as soon as I am done like with either a recording no, yeah, or an edit, yeah. everything that I know about that episode immediately leaves my brain. It's almost like it didn't happen. Like if I did not edit another path, I would have no idea what was going and on. And you're the one who runs the game. I will do an edit relatively close to whenever I record just to make sure stuff stays in my head. That's one reason I do go back and listen to us. Mm-hmm. So that way I can remember the shit that we talked about. Because sometimes <laughs> I'll be listening and be like, Oh, fuck. I totally forgot. We talked about that. Yep. Yep. I, on the other hand, think my voice sounds super weird. Mm-hmm. Um, in my head. Sounds great. Oh, yeah. Unrecording. <laughs> Alien. Terrible. Beth, are you a lizard person? <laughs> she is, in fact, a lizard person. That's why uh, my name for a lot of things is Elizarda. Mmm. It is what we came up for. Actually, it's what my brother called me. A lizard ah, death. Lizard Solid. death. Lizard Solid. death. Solid. He wasn't very inventive. I mean, look, at a certain age, you don't have to be. No, at like 14 and 15, he could just call me a lizard. And I'd be like, no, David, stop it. <laughs> stop it, David. Now I'm like, I've been called worse. <laughs> By myself. Look, look if all you're going to bring to the table is lizard, Jesus. Get, get. My older brother and I used to rile up my younger brother, whose name is Jeffrey, by just calling him names that started with J that weren't Jeffrey. <laughs> and when he was like seven and eight, that's all it took. I thought your only I thought your only brother was named Jeffrey. Peak comedy. Right. No, I have an older brother. I know that you've never met him and therefore he doesn't exist. Oh I've no, met I've him. met him. He doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a very similar relationship with the younger sister of uh, of Ryan Albrecht on another path. There is apparently a sister I have supposedly met. They talk about her a lot, and I am still unconvinced that she exists. <laughs> She's like, yeah, sure, sure, she does. But I worked. For I her. I know. Yes. I, I would say I know best brother. Oh yeah, oh yeah no, and, and Cassie does work with her. Uh, or with the actor that they have hired to play the sister. The actor that is portraying the sister. Yes. They did a really great job of finding someone who looks like that family. Oh, for sure. No, look, 10 out of 10 casting. Not faulting there, but... You know who else had 10 out of 10 casting? Who's that? The Muppets when they adapted A Christmas Carol. Uh, so are, we're we just going... in, are we all in agreement that that is the best adaptation? Okay, so, but yes, let's, 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 lead, let's lead up to it and talk about the fact <laughs> that this play was adapted immediately for stage. Let's actually dial back a little bit earlier and say that this is the Shakespeare podcast. Okay, so yes, this is Shakespeare, and you might be wondering why we're talking about A Christmas Carol. 
Um, well, it's season two, and all bets are off. Um, exactly. We're gonna we make about, the rules. We do what we want. We're just right. Classics. We're, we're just throwing shit down. We're snorting the Christmas spice, and we are here in our jean jackets, ready to go. Nobody gave me a jean jacket. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Chase Greenley. And we're going to talk about Big Daddy Dickens' A Christmas Carol. <laughs> no, no, Big Daddy Dickens. <laughs> I do hate it. So You're much. welcome. So, much. so <laughs> as Ryan was saying, this has been adapted so many times. Charles Dickens himself used to. Charles Dickens himself performed this 127 times. Yeah. No shit. A lot. Yeah, including his final his final performance the year he died. I was going to say it's like I I did be, readings. So I didn't know this was a I didn't know he was a performer. There is an episode d- of Doctor he, Who that has mm-hmm. Charles Dickens in it and he mm-hmm. is performing a Christmas carol in it. Mhm. He right. did readings of this he did readings of this book. Um until he died in 1870 or something like that. Yeah. Go Chuck. Like well, it's, only, it's only three hours. Sure. So just best. Re- it's, I believe it's like 127 times that he read this. Hmm. I wonder how many he this phoned This story in. was basically written to be a commercial for Christmas. Right. It was a situation where people weren't, celebrating the holiday it was kind of falling into obscurity and so charles dickens said what can i do and uh depending on what lore you fall into it's possible santa claus asked him to do it um it was also i mean this is also probably his best reviewed work ever i don't know what you want me to go back to santa claus there were very few negative reviews of this um, the funny thing is, is he was a bit of a fucking Scrooge, uh, himself. Somebody, somebody wrote or somebody, somebody put out an abridged version mm-hmm. shortly after he published this and he sued them. I would. But he's like, I'm not making enough money off of this book. He's like, in my normal publishing deal, I would have made. Uh, a thousand shillings by now, and I only made two hundred and thirty shillings. That's not enough shillings. Which I mean, in eighteen forties money, that was twenty three thousand dollars of twenty twenty money. Uh that's fair. And that's just for just for a Christmas Carol. That's not his other publishing deals or anything like that. That's not the circuit. Yeah, but I. I feel comfortable saying that this is probably one of the most adapted works in mm-hmm. the English canon. Oh yeah. Yeah. He yeah. published he published this um he published this it was it was finally released uh December 19th 1843 and the first run the first edition was sold out Within six or with five days. Wow. At five shillings a pop in five days, 6,000 books, the first edition was sold out by Christmas Eve. Um, Again, not surprising. 
No. Which is good. It, it's good. There were there were like eleven editions of Christmas Carol uh by the end of eighteen forty four. Um the first play adaptation was in eighteen forty four. Um and Dickens sanctioned it. Huh. It ran for it ran for forty nights, and by the time it was done, there were eight others that were gone. <laughs> like eight other play adaptations of a Christmas Carol happening at the same time. It's like it's wild. Um how much this play was adapted or this story was adapted, you know. Yeah. And it's it's adapted so many different ways too. So the Muppets is the best. Oh yeah, yes. agreed. But there's also like last year there was a wonderful adaptation of it where it was like the man who wrote a Christmas. The man girl. who invented Christmas. Um Dan Stevens plays Charles Dickens, who is haunted by the ghost of Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, it's so good. I love it. Who that. is played by Christopher Plummer. It's a really, really good movie. It's it's a you know fictionalized account of how Charles Dickens. I mean Dickens you had you had me at Christopher Plummer. Yeah, and he plays a great Scrooge. Really does should have a, had you at Dan rip, Stevens. Does he rip apart a Nazi flag in it? Yeah, surprising. Yes. It's really cool. ahead of its time. Cool, I'm down for it. Um, I can watch that man rip a Nazi flag in half any day. But yeah, it, that is everywhere still. I think Amazon Prime has it, but it's still look. There's a there's a BBC version in mime starring Marcel Marceau. There is a yeah, musical tracks. version starring Colin Baker, who is also Doctor Who. The musical versions of this are the worst things ever, though. It's There's true. an opera. It's very true. There's a ballet. So uh, there's BBC a BBC radio with, play from 1923. There's a, just a ton. There's a version with Patrick Stewart as Scrooge. There's a version with George C. Scott as Scrooge. I've seen both of those. Um, the first the first film adaptation was in 1901. It was a black and white. Film adaptation, obviously, there was no color. Silent, Silent film. film. Well, the world wasn't in color. Um, yeah, the world wasn't in color until Pleasantville. Um, it's weird how that happened. Uh, there's a, there's the animated one that we shouldn't talk about because don't waste an hour and a half of your life watching that movie. But there's a Mickey Mouse animated one that I have watched so many times. The Mickey Mouse animated one's not bad. It's no, not Scrooge McDuck swimming through his piles of money. Well, I mean, he doesn't. But swim Mickey Mouse, in that Mickey one. Mouse is Bob Cratchit. You know, that's yeah. you know, it's but a classic. My kids watch Christmas movies all year long. Um, this year we've gotten a bit of a reprieve, but they started already with the Grinch today. But Mickey's I'm very Christmas selective Carol. of my. I'm very selective about the Christmas movies I'll actually watch. The Grinch right. is one of them. The the Muppets. The, the the Mickey Christmas Carol, and of course, because Cassie, we've we've held her off long enough. She the only reason we're doing this is because Cassie wants to talk about this adaptation, and I'm just really stalling for time at this point to I, see how much longer I can make her wait. I do have one other adaptation I want to bring Ooh, up before Chase, we dive into nice. the meat of it. Because I want to talk about the weirdest and potentially worst adaptation I've seen. 
It's called a Carol Christmas. And this is something that I Does thought it star I Carol had... Channing? Uh, it stars uh, Tori <laughs> Spelling. Oh, okay. Uh, um, but it's about, like, it, it's a modernization about, like, a like a Hollywood celebrity kind of person, you know, going through the exact same. Um, but the reason I thought this was a fever dream is uh, because of the ghosts. Um, Gary Coleman is the <laughs> ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> William oh. Shatner is the ghost of Christmas present. Good tracks. And James Cromwell is the ghost of Christmas uh, James future. Crom- Wait, Un- how do you Uncredited. Get- uncredited, but, but James you- Cromwell. But how do you get that, like... Like, how, how do you, do you talk get James those- Cromwell into doing that? I yeah, don't How do you talk know. James Cromwell into being in a movie with William Shatner? With Tori Spelling. Well, and because, like, it ends... Gary the, the, the movie... The movie ends with William Shatner, Gary Coleman, and uh, and James Cromwell sitting in a limo. It's like, yeah, pretty good job, guys. Yeah, pretty good job. My yeah, favorite well. weird adaptation is still Scrooged. I love Scrooged. Which is a Bill Murray mm. movie. I love it. It's not great. Um, if you haven't seen it, it is a yearly watch. Uh, and nothing is creepier than when the ghost of Christmas yet to come opens up his robe, and on his skeletal insides are these weird Muppet things doing weird Muppet shit. It's horrifying. Speaking Spe- of get a Muppet things Muppets, doing Muppet shit. Cassie, Cassie's face during the entire time we've been doing this, and I'm doing it again because it's funny. She doesn't look that Cassie's bothered, face Ryan. is hilarious. Is it? Okay. It was as he was like doing the lead up in there, and then I swooped it. It's not Christmas in our house until we've watched the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's a fact. Um, it's what we watch while we decorate for Christmas and put up the tree. Do you sing the Marley song? Because it's my favorite. Of course, Marley and Marley. We and now because of the wonders of. uh, listening to music on the internet, we have discovered the lost songs from that show uh, because there are two cut songs. You have my entire that are, attention. <laughs> um, Bunsen Beth, Beth and Beaker. Close to her camera. Bunsen and Beaker, uh, who played the charity workers, get a song. Um, That's excellent. Uh, Room in Your Heart for Love. It's very good. Beaker does get a solo. Exactly. Yep. That's, and it's ev- that's fucking excellent. And then I don't I don't remember this one as well because it's not as much of a bop, but uh but Sam the Eagle also has a song. Look, I'm here. Sam for that. who plays the headmaster uh for for young Ebenezer. Young and Ebenezer's it's, it's, headmaster, yes. It's, Sam the Eagle. It's fine. It's not Look, terrible. It's it not great. Slap, though. That's fine. Here's here's the thing for me with the Muppet Christmas Carol, especially having read this book now to talk about it. And this gets into a pin that that I wrote down as we were talking earlier, which is the narrator is his own separate character in this, really which is unusual for a book that is written in third person. So 
typically if you're doing third person, you're doing third person limited. So you pick a character and it's their perspective through the book, but they themselves are not telling the story directly. And your narrator is very neutral. It's just basically like Stage a directions. way to tell the story. Basically. This is not that. This is very much... I am telling you this story. It's about well, the, narr- the narrator has an active voice. Yeah. A yeah. very active voice. And he like sits you down and he talks to you and he like tells jokes to you, the reader, and it's very conversational. It's very personable. And I feel like that element gets lost in almost every adaptation except for the Muppets. Muppet Christmas because Carol. Because you have Gonzo, a narrator. Gonzo is Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. And he is narrating the story with Rizzo the Rat doing color commentary. Oh, my God. And it's Fan- it's so much fun. It's what makes that movie so incredible. They have like my the absolute lamp, not the favorite rat. scene in the entire movie where they, like, have to get over this, like, fence. <laughs> and Gonzo falls and then Rizzo falls. And they're like, whoa. And shake themselves off. And then Rizzo goes, oh, shoot, I forgot my jelly beans. And he goes through the fence to get the beans and back. And Gonzo's just staring at him. Like, what? what? <laughs> you, can- you can fit those bars? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's- Can't believe you. What? <laughs> it's my- Come on, watch. It's one of no, my no, favorite it's moments. It's great. It does, it does love- fall into the trap that... Of remembered Christmas Carol, though. Um, mm. Because Ebenezer Scrooge does not go share Christmas dinner with the Cratchits. But nearly every adaptation has <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge joining the Cratchits for Christmas dinner. And it's right. like, it's it's considered, it's it's such a part of the adaptations that everybody thinks it's in the original story. But I can't be mad at it because it's not. You get you get Miss Piggy getting into Michael Caine's face. Oh no, <laughs> which is very good. And I think it makes it makes more sense when being told in the shorter format of uh, either stage or screen because you do you need that last moment with Bob. Like the moment with Fred is nice, but really like that main tension there is with no his you employee. yeah you need you need the time with with the Cratchits because that's the whole focal point that turns him around. Right. And in adaptation, like in the book, you don't need it because he deals with it the next day when Cratchit comes to work. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm gonna get him. <laughs> I'm gonna get him so good. I'm gonna give him I'm more. Make him, I'm gonna give him a raise. Make him think he's fired. He gonna get more money. <laughs> Nothing's as good as your boss teasing you like that yet. In the book, it works. But yes, I agree. For stage, for like stage adaptations or film adaptations, it's important to do to give that closure with the Cratchits that way, and it's a good spot to end it on. But it's so much, it's so funny how everybody thinks that that is actually part of the book. Now, my problem with the Muppets and the Cratchits is when you mix a pig and a frog, the things that come out won't look like a pig and a frog. They look like a pig frog. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get our, we need to get our punet squares out. I'm, uh. (laughs) What's recessive? (laughs) Oh, nice. Nice punet squares. Yeah. Are cloven hooves no, no, no. dominant? Huh. 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 Wild. Uh, something something wow. else that they 
cut that I did not know about in The Christmas Carol at all until I was much older um, was uh, Want and Ignorance. Oh, yeah. Because those are excised from almost every adaptation because it's so creepy. A lot of the adaptations don't include them, but the stage versions do. Staged versions tend to. Yeah. So stage versions tend to add those characters. Um, And I would like to ask for people's opinion or input on what it is about this story that has taken such hold in our collective societal consciousness like even immediately after it came out was it just at that point the popularity of charles dickens but like why has this had such staying power well and even even at the time right one of the one of the people who wrote a review of it was like you know even even if the traditions of christmas had somehow been in danger which they weren't dickens would have revived them you know with with this with so, this book. In my mind, it all of a sudden... Like... Uh, it's all about the redemption of somebody who's being an asshat. That, yeah, well, everybody, asshat everybody loves a redemption long, story. But you could, you could be better. Well, and I think that's definitely part of it. And I think something else that we talked about earlier uh, really brings through is that it's like, we all know a Scrooge. We all know... This person, at least in part, somebody who could be doing better and for personal or societal reasons, they just fucking don't. Yep. And so what we see with with A Christmas Carol is we see somebody who has wealth, who has real power to make change and actively chooses not to make that change be convinced to do better. And that is a powerful fantasy. Yep. It really, Back then, it really as is. it is today. Yeah, the, the fantasy mm-hmm. of being able to affect that change in that person and make them... It's and, to, to, teach, to teach an unempathetic person empathy. Yeah. To, to see, like, uh, to have somebody who has that wealth even do literally anything to help one person, let alone like a city block, let alone a city like Scrooge is depicted as being a person with a lot of power within their wealth. And we are shown that this is something he has had the capacity to do to make the lives of the people around him better. Because what we see at the end, well, towards the end in the in the fourth stave where it is, you know, Christmas uh, yet to come, we see everybody around him is better for his death. And yep. isn't that sad? Isn't that just fucking tragic that yep. everyone around Scrooge is better for his death? That's awful. And yet it's the fact of the matter. And that is something that we see in society all too often that people would just be better if other, like, it's awful. And people choose to live that way. So we are seeing somebody make the, the active choice to be better for the people around him so that his life has meaning in that way. Well, yep. And Dickens writes, <clears throat> these Scrooge-esque characters mm-hmm. 
into so many of his He books. wrote multiple Christmas, more Christmas books after this. I didn't know that either. I was looking it up after, but it's like Chimes, I think, is one. The Chimes is one. Chimes. Um, there's a few others. But yeah, he was, and the reason, the one of the things that he did with this book, the way it, the reason it was published, he basically went to a completely different publisher and did this because his M- Martin Chiselton or whatever that he had released right before this did fucking terrible reviews and poorly and everything. So he, he did this this way and then it turned into being, oh shit, well, people like it when I write about christmas and he wrote like like five or six more christmas books yeah i mean look why fix what ain't broken well and of course and like i said he continued to do readings of this book and mm-hmm. abridged versions that he abridged you know short he it's, shortened it's yeah. clear that he liked being famous he wrote a lot of books martin Chesworth is fucking awful so is the old curiosity <laughs> shop they're terrible books and yeah whatever yeah what she said and i'm not chisel nuts or whatever i called it <laughs> chisel nuts works but ch- okay so um god damn it that'd no, be painful right chisel nuts yeah. so fizzywig and chisel nuts are supposed are very similar-esque characters Mm-hmm. So he kind of fixed what was wrong and made him likable and flat instead of sure. unlikable and flat. He's not a likable character. But um I'm trying to think of popular books. So like there there's always a Scrooge character. No matter what, there's a Scrooge-esque character. Nicholas Nickleby is one of my favorites. The uncle in Nickel Nickleby, he's a horrible person and the kid smike is kept in a fucking room in the attic hidden away was he a mic that was made with marshmallow that's just jane cracker what smike was he a a mic that was made with marshmallow and graham cracker because his name is smike Smike. his name's smike oh i thought you said smike no smike um um but um, to jump back real quick to Muppet Christmas Carol, it does have um, a pretty great Christmas present. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. But he's not. Oh, man. And no. He doesn't have the edge. Yeah, he's not. No, he's not. He's, well, no, but that's, it's completely it's completely because it's Muppets. And, oh, you know, yeah. Exactly. Like, that's that is but the come one in and know me better, man. That is one thing that the Muppets do is they kind of soften the rougher edges of the story. Well, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, you'll see it with one of my favorite books growing up. Uh, Muppet Treasure Island is, mm. you know, wonderful <laughs> and, oh, uh, you know, amazing. But it softens the book, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I always. But what I really. We're supposed I to genuinely... be teaching the kids about adaptations and telling different stories different ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. I made them watch uh, Treasure Planet and Muppets Treasure Island. <laughs> I mean, it, both it both works, are right? the both yeah. are worthy adaptations. <laughs> like same same story told two different ways, two different ways. Both both are worthy adaptations. Not quite all the different Cinderellas, but close enough. 
But what I genuinely appreciate about the Muppets Christmas Carol is that I feel like their interpretation and the way that they put the ghost of Christmas yet to come on the screen is one of the most subtle and nuanced interpretation of that moment. Because it's so easy to overblow Mm -hmm. the ghost of Christmas future. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to overplay that moment with Scrooge in the graveyard. Like, Patrick Stewart's Scrooge literally falls into a grave on top of his own corpse. Yes. And, like, it's so easy to go, like, over the top and, and look at this scary thing. And I... I love that there's just the simplicity of it's this giant shrouded figure mm-hmm. looks, just, just points. Yep. Looks like it's like cloaked in bed drapes, like in yeah. the, in the, the bed curtains. And, and, all. and Michael Caine's performance in that last scene is great because it really highlights the interpretation that I take with it, which is Scrooge knows through the whole last interlude that these people are talking about him. He just doesn't want to admit it. He wants to hold out hope that he hasn't been this bad of a person. Well, he wants to hold out hope that there are people that aren't out there literally celebrating his death. Nope, but those cockroaches really were. Yeah, they were. (laughs) Um, But there are so many, there are so many versions of this that paint Scrooge as like legitimately just oblivious. Mm -hmm. And when he sees his own name, it's like, what? It was me the whole time. Whereas with Michael Caine, it's very clearly like, I can't ignore this any longer because my name is literally in stone it's, in front of me. It's what every therapist wants. It's a journey of self-discovery that nobody is taking him along. He's doing it on his own. Yeah, and I just, I think that there's so many adaptations that you can choose from. The, to literally watch for this hundreds. Story. There's so many. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And, uh... Our university here in town, I'm sure like most universities in the country, they pull out Christmas Carol every four years or so because it's a guaranteed moneymaker. Sure. Um, They did it my freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. And I worked crew for it so that I didn't have to go learn how to use power tools with Todd Kennedy. (laughs) Um, I went to go learn power tools with Todd Kennedy. I should have gone with you. Yeah, I I worked in the fly gallery. I had four jobs. I brought in and out the banners for each of the ghosts. And that was literally all that I did the whole show. So two-hour show, I did maybe two minutes of work mm-hmm. the whole time. So I read the entire series of Unfortunate Events during Tech Week, all 13 books of it. Did you bite things afterwards? Did I bite things? No, I didn't. That's what I took away is that little kids bite Touch things. my robe. I wasn't, I was... Bite my robe. I was 18. Mm. I don't know that I was a little kid. Um, But the version that we did that year in 2006 was one that Scott Regan had written. And it was not great. It was a musical. It was bad. All of the ghosts spoke in rhyming couplets. Tiny Tim had a song about death in which there was a a Tiny Tim death ballet. Where another, like a ballet dancer who was in Tiny Tim's costume except all in white came out and did like a ballet dance with the crutch to like show the freedom of, of death. death has set him free from his infirmity. It was troubling. 
I ask that if if I die, I would like if you this, die, if, I would like this performed. <laughs> well, we still haven't proven that he can die, so that's fair. I'm still alive. Uh, you know, um, I've actually, done a lot of things that should indicate that that may not should maybe not be a thing. <laughs> that's not on the table. I, yeah. I but finally, I think uh, when Ryan dies, I'm going to eulogize him, but it's just going to be the story of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, both to show that he has no effect on the actual story and because he likes it a lot. And Did I that just need... also pop up in your timeline again? No. I was say I had a Facebook memory that popped up about something about uh, having people go to my funeral and tell wildly inconsistent stories about my life. I just have always like... planned to do that about you. Now, I will need Tyler Lemons to confirm this in, like, eight years when he finally listens to this episode. Sure. Um, But I think the 2006 BGSU production is the one in which he played Scrooge. See, I remember that. I was remember that the was, Darren, was, was Darren in that? As Bob Cratchit? No, Darren Kerr was in the 2008 okay. Christmas Carol, because they did him two years apart. Right, because I remember. Didn't Margaret write one? Probably. I was in it. I, I was in it back in two thousand, two thousand and one, two thousand two, somewhere around there. Well, anybody who wants to be in it, the rep literally does it every freaking year. I did it. At, I did it at BG. I grew mutton chops. I wore a top hat. I was one of the uh, the merchants. Hmm. And it's a guaranteed moneymaker because it's a story that lives in our collective consciousness. Everybody wants to go see A Christmas Carol at Christmas time. I think it makes them feel like they're doing something right because they can watch the story and go, ah, yes, Ebenezer Scrooge is a bad dude in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Glad he changed and then not apply it at all to real life. But it makes them feel good. My hot take um, is that The Good Place is also an adaptation of Christmas Carol. There we go. Okay. That's my no nuance November. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> no no nuance November. It's it's a TikTok thing that's going on right now. I don't know what a TikTok is, but hey, I like it. Where'd it go? It's a Kesha but, song, honey. But yeah, I don't know so, what a Kesha is. Is that Brittany uh, Albrecht? Yes. So I think... We shot a music you, video once, a la Kesha, for Brittany Albrecht. For something. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember why. But I think it's appropriate for us to be talking about Christmas Carol as our first out of the gate non Shakespeare thing because I I feel like this kind of holds the same kind of place in our society and culture as a lot of Shakespeare's plays do. It I think Charles is a huge, has it the is same a huge, sort of staying power. It's a well, it's like a it's part of like the eternal zeitgeist of of culture, right? Because we call somebody who's miserly a Scrooge. Right. Um, if somebody doesn't like Christmas, bah humbug. Yeah. Bah yeah. humbug it, I mean, wasn't a... That's not a thing. No, well, no. Charles Charles Dickens literally introduced bah humbug into the lexicon of Victorian England with this book. Um, yeah. Merry, Merry Christmas had been said before, like it was recorded all the way back in Shakespeare's time, 15, or before Shakespeare, 1534. But... It was not really a thing that people said until A Christmas Carol. 
when Dickens like brought it to the forefront. Like, Forced it down everybody's throat. Yeah. Like, like turn he used the Western canon to revitalize a holiday. Well, and it was a holiday that didn't really need revitalized, but he sure he rebranded. Rebranded. It, one could almost be one thing could almost be said is that he is the reason that people get stuck working in retail on Thanksgiving. Blame it on Dickens. But I blame Dickens a lot of things Christmas. on Dickens. Dickens That's is fair. Christmas He's is dead. More... He can't defend himself anymore. Dickens' Christmas that he describes is much more what we do with Thanksgiving now. Oh, no, mm-hmm. I agree. But the popularity, the ridiculousness that happens at Christmas, you know, Victorian excesses, you know. I think that's not, actually Coca-Cola you know. gets the blame for that. It mm. could be. Um, but no, uh, no, Dickens, Dickens. Actually, what Dickens really did was he he secularized Christmas. Yeah. With this book. There's not, it doesn't have the, the religious, uh, overtone. Anything. There's no religious bit to the book. Not Mm -hmm. overtly, no. But that whole. Well, they talk about Christian charity. Well, but the whole point of the book is. Take care of your fellow man. Like, but with, care but, about the people around you. And that is very much in line with what Christian teaching is and what Christian living and, should be. No, 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 I agree. And often isn't. But it's, but, but this he doesn't, a, it's not a Christian overtone to this. It's, it's a secularized version of that. Yeah. Um, where, yeah. where he's saying the same things, mm-hmm. but without, you know, without the, you know, threat of everlasting damnation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Well, uh, I mean, there is the threat of everlasting damnation, of walking in the world with a whole bunch of ledgers tied to your legs. It does seem like a bad time. Uh, There's also the bit with, like, Tiny Tim talking about being at church. Yeah. Yeah. Which Christianity does not hold the patent on taking care of your fellow man. Oh, certainly not. But... It is no, it's a guidebook. Of... It's a good guidebook. We'll do it the Bible for one of these. <laughs> the whole Bible. Don't... Season four. Guys, we're running. Please give us something else. Please give us something else. <laughs> no, uh, no. actually, I promise you, we Let's will not. Let's talk about that book of Ruth. Wow, she, she was a real go-getter. <laughs> I promise you, we will not, um, actually. Hey, check Ruth out Ruth is actually check out kind numbers. of an awesome character in the Bible, so. I said she was a go-getter. Wait! Yeah. Wait until we do Deuteronomy. It's, oh boy, it's that'll be early because yeah. that's that's like the fifth book in the Bible. Yeah, but wait, because we have to get through fucking a lot of begats between now. There's, there's a, a lot of turn. There's like this has there's a let's lot of wrench baguettes. things back onto the track. Yeah. Uh, so our permapins, which might shift. A bit in season two. Yeah, like, we, language is going to be less of an important thing going well, forward, d- probably. what we're dealing with and who we're dealing with. Language. I could, said probably. Yeah. Could still be important. I think there's a lot of 
interesting. We touched on a lot of what I would consider interesting language points with Christmas Carol in just how the narration is handled and how mm-hmm. the story is presented. In the, the narration, the thing about Bah Humbug and Merry Christmas, like yeah. the, it had an impact on on language usage for sure. Sure. Uh, um, and we talked about adaptation. So our other permapin is uh, Agency of Women. Which for what few women are in the show, it's not it's not, that it's not terrible. Look, Belle has Belle has agency. Yeah. Belle she, says, away. she says I listen here you. listen here, Ebby. You're you fucking care about your dollar bills more than you care about me. So guess what? I'm leaving you and I'm not putting up with your shit. And Scrooge's sister, Fan, is the one who convinces their father to let Scrooge, to let come, Scrooge home. come home. Mm-hmm. And we're told that she's the one who kind of instilled this joy in life and happiness into herself. Well, he, yeah, he, his sister was like uh, his beloved relationship growing up. Like, that was the person that he cared about. So Yeah, and it is it is heavily implied also that, like, Part of his Baham bugginess is like in results of her death. Yes. Because she's dead by the time the, the, the book starts. She's been dead for a yep. while. Yeah. So yeah. I know it's not. But yeah, part, part of his, yeah, part of his scrooginess is because of, of his sister dying. It's not directly related to agency, but is about how women are portrayed in this book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fucking creepy shit. Yeah, there is. They talk about the bow of a young girl's mouth. As it needs to be made, as if it needs to be kissed. He's talking about the granddaughter of the woman he was going to marry, or no, the daughter of the woman he was going to marry. He and the plump sister of his nephew's wife. Like they're the way they talk about women is very like soft and sexual. Yes, and it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah, that is I I in reading that I took that as just like weird 19th century bullshit. Yeah, I mean it is, but it's also uh, yeah. I say through through the lens through the lens of Victorian language when he wrote it probably not creepy. But modern lens super creepy. Definitely creepy. I don't know, I think yeah. Because I, I was listening to it, I was like, this is, these are, we're spending a lot of time talking about how this guy is running after, is playing blind man's bluff with this, and very much looking for this one gal. Chasing her, and yep. all the, trapping her in a corner, and then holding her hostage behind the curtains. Mm-hmm. And that there had been a deal struck with Fred about this going to happen. What? Are you kidding? No, that's awful. It's awful. It's wild. Um, Victorian courting is fucked. But uh, that's what Edith Wharton, which we're not. I know Edith Wharton. Hi, Basha on that. All right. She's weird about it. What else do we got? But, so, yeah, agency of women's a weird one with this, but there is definitely some agency some, of women. There's not a lot of prominent female characters there's no. really not a lot of prominent yes. characters well there's that my favorite there's bob that. cratchit he's mourning the death of his son 
and he's talking about how Fred came up to him and asked him about how things are going. And he said, that must be terrible for you and your good wife. And Bob stops. And he goes, I don't know how he knew that. What? That you were a good wife. He makes a joke about how, how, how in the world would he, anybody think you are a good wife? What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't interpret it that way. I don't, I don't take it know? that way either. Well, it took but... me weird. How does he know you're a good wife? What? All right, that's me. Well, no, I, I don't, I don't get that he, I don't think that he was making a joke like that there's no way she's a good wife, but like Fred doesn't know her. How would he know that? Everybody knows you're a good wife. All right. I I personally like watching adaptations of this story to see how they like portray the women and you know I am going to come back to the Muppets because it's the best one but mm-hmm. like Miss Piggy as Mrs. Cratchit is amazing. Yes. And I I absolutely love they add into the scene and a lot of adaptations do this. When Bob's like, let's toast Mr. Scrooge, they have Miss Cratchit going, the fuck you want me to do? <laughs> you, want me to, you want me to toast that asshole? I, th- I mean, is, isn't that kind of in there? I thought I heard, like... A little bit. Yeah, but, yeah. but like, I mean, it's definitely more prominent in, in Muppets and probably other adaptations, but... Like, I think she gets off, like, one or two little snide remarks in there. Yeah. And badly dressed. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite. I love it. It's pretty good. Yeah, no, I... I agree with the importance of this, you know, especially even just looking at the number of times this play has been adapted, how many times it has been performed, how many times Dickens himself fucking performed it. Um... It really does fit the same level or around the same level. I mean, Dickens himself does not fit the same level of cultural importance that William Shakespeare does. But this this work is right up there. Oh, yeah, no. that Yeah, the I, I would absolutely agree with that. Like, That's Dickens, making a face. Not, yeah, Dickens is not on the level of... I think you're underestimating the, of, the amount that Dickens is important. Uh, I think I, individual works of Dickens are as important of any of Shakespeare's Dickens plays. Dickens was very prolific, but has... Dickens also put out a lot of garbage. He did. Yeah, but we also discovered that Shakespeare also put out a lot of garbage. Look, I get that. I get that, <laughs> so, but I'm not I'm not super excited to sift through Dickens' garbage because the guy was no, paid by there, the like, word. So there are <laughs> But there are there are books that he wrote that he wasn't. Christmas Carol, not paid by the word. Uh, Great Expectations, not paid by the word. Well, Christmas Carol, yeah, he had a deal for profits. Everything's about money with yeah. him, yeah. and that's fine. But um, Oliver Twist no, is quintessential. And there are there are books that Dickens wrote that are are incredibly important. I think you know, like Oliver Twist, and I think Nicholas Nickleby, David Copperfield, David Copperfield, and Great Expectations, and so, a Christmas Carol. Tale, Tale of Two Cities. I know nobody likes it. I kind of like it. but It was the best of times. It was the worst of books. You gotta I, give the man he's good with a first line. The Wishbone is. adaptation was pretty was pretty good. Of Tale of Two Cities? Yeah. He is he is good with a first line. I will definitely give him that. He's but got Tale of Two really Cities, War and Peace, um, 
these are epic novels about war. And so it's boring. And sometimes. So you should only listen to that one. Don't read it. It's, but I think, like, absolutely A Christmas Carol and a lot of the other ones that you just mentioned, Beth, like, stand alongside, like, some of Shakespeare's best works as being quintessential cornerstones of the Western canon. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's better. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he has a place in the Western canon. Oh, yeah, he does. And he, he does have a great cultural importance. I just think that of all of his works, this one is the most important of his works absolutely sure and i think that leaves us with just one pin which is what did you learn about victorians from this story i learned about stuff from this story i didn't know a baby like shop the, was uh, actually the... where they took their fucking food to be made because they didn't have an oven in their house yeah hmm. didn't know that they like the plump bow of a Whatever, a lip. Why? When you whatever. say it, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross when he said it. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. That they took him to the that that's what the baker was. Um, they took their food over to the baker to uh, make it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No idea. No idea about that. It's like a big home ec class. Yep. I'd like to say that the prisons were a place for uh, the poor to go, but I learned that from Little Dorrit, which is also a Dickens novel mm -hmm. i didn't know they made staircases so wide you could draw the character <laughs> up inside the face <laughs> or there would be so many bells in a house that you wouldn't bells even with, know bells with no purpose whatsoever they hadn't even been rung in so long I was actually a little surprised to find, uh, because this is something that is also taken out of a lot of adaptations, that uh, fucking Scrooge went to a tavern for dinner yeah. on Christmas Eve, just because, like, every night. guy probably, every, every night. night, guy probably doesn't have a kitchen. Yeah. Guy probably is renting out the room that used to be the kitchen in the house. So who made the gruel? Like, I I mean, he's probably got, like, some oats in a jar and, he's like, got, just put a little bit got, of water in it. He's got a kettle. He's got a kettle. Well, yeah, it, it's <laughs> London. A, he's got a kettle for tea. And, and a he's bowl. he's got some dried oats. <laughs> he's got a bowl, a kettle, and a spoon. I'm pretty sure that's how I lived in the dorms. I That is definitely how. Yeah, replace the the oats with a cup of noodles and, of noodles. Uh, and you're there you're replace the kettle with a hot plate yeah replace the kettle with a hot plate or whatever hot plates mm -hmm. were illegal so we all had them <laughs> look it's Charles Dickens it's important um, this is obviously you know even if it's not as most important it's as most well known though I mean you can you can just about anybody has has the first line of Tale of Two Cities. Everybody knows it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It's the most ambiguous first line ever. Some it's right up there. Was good, some shit was bad. Yeah, it's right up there with like everybody knows. Call me Ishmael. You know, that's also a boring fucking book. It's a lot of it talks about ambergris and other stuff that you don't really care about. The fact that sperm whale were called sperm whale because they literally thought the entire oil cavity was their sperm. How about that? It's true and weird. That's what I learned from Herman Melville. 
He didn't say it like that. But but that's what he was saying. But that's, that's what he was, what he was saying. saying. So yeah, while right. while okay, so you know, like I said, it may not be the most important work that Dickens ever wrote. It is quite possibly the most famous. It has got to be the most adapted. Fuck yeah. They're not out there making a bunch of film versions of Tale of Two Cities or Nicholas Nickleby. Oh, there's at least five versions of Nicholas Nickleby because they're on my shelf. Yeah, they're all they're all BBC. Daniel Radcliffe was in an adaptation of Oliver Twist. Yes, that was like one of his first big roles. One of his first no. with uh, Bob David Copperfield. Who's a David? No, Co- he, it's David no. Copperfield. It was, was it? David? Yeah, Copperfield. it was. David but they they were all put out Sworn. by BBC. There's and a they, new David you know, Copperfield that just came out that I haven't been able to see because coronavirus kept me from the theaters. I'm very upset about it. Yes, but... Look, I, you know what I learned about Victorian more... England is that Beth is a real hard Dickens stan. I'm... I'm pretty sure that you already knew that. No, I didn't. I Like, I knew you liked Dickens, but I didn't realize how hard you stan Dickens. Oh my gosh. My hard-on for the Victorian and Regency era is stupid. You should tell Chris how much you love Dickens. He knows it. Trust me. I'll tell him tonight. <laughs> Three beers in, baby. I love some Dickens. <laughs> but yes, if you have not read A Christmas Carol, I think it is definitely worth a read. It'll read pretty quickly. Read it out yeah. loud to your family and loved ones. At the, <laughs> at the very least, there are like five versions of this being read on YouTube audiobook style. Tim that Curry. is how I read it. It was great. Yeah. Tim, Curry Tim Curry's does got one. one. It's great. You were saying Jim Dale has Jim Dale. one. Ooh. Yeah. Um apparently Patrick Stewart has one as well. Um, uh if you're going to seek out an adaptation of it to watch, I we all recommend Muppets. Yep. Watch the Muppets if you yep. haven't I would definitely, somehow seen And you know, the the Mickey Mouse one isn't bad. The Mickey Mouse Keep one's the not cat bad. Is the uh future ghost of christmas yet to come um Um, patrick stewart's is is worth watching pretty well done and i really enjoyed the man who invented christmas i Mm -hmm. love that movie um that came out um but the best one of the best things about muppet christmas carol is the fact that it is michael caine yes and he uses his michael caine accent the whole time he 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 talks in michael caine voice the entire time and it's delightful and it's Michael Caine talking in the Michael Caine voice, being a consummate professional, acting against the Muppets, which does make it so much better. Oh, yeah, it does. A hundred percent. But it's so it's so worth a watch. Um, but yeah, just read it. Just it's a, it's a short read. You take you an evening, you know, we uh, we didn't really talk about ghost stories for Christmas. At all. Well, yeah, Ghost Stories for Christmas used to be the thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's Very because Victorian. we all are like, yeah, that's just a thing. That's a thing. I think we should. But bring it used it, back. To, it used to be it used to be a big thing in the Victorian era. You told ghost stories. That was what you did, and that's what Dickens wrote. That's why he wrote a ghost story at Christmas. Because the yeah. sun will come up. We promise. Midwinter. Speaking of speaking of Christmas stuff or well Christmas adjacent stuff, I got my I ordered my Yule goats today, so I can put them out. Did you what? say Yule goats? Yule goats. Okay, so wait, Yule. no, I just did yeah, no, you can't just say that like that's a thing, Ryan. So okay, so Yule, which is where Christmas steals its time frame from, got yes, it. Yeah, I know. is a Norse. 
yeah. tradition. No, it starts at the at midwinter, the winter solstice. Yeah. Traditionally ran three days. Um, but you know, eleven days is considered, you know, Yule time. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the Yule log tradition. People would take a sheaf of wheat from the harvest and they would form it, they would like braid it into a goat in honor of Thor's goats. Oh, mm. yeah. Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder that could be, he could kill the goat and you could eat it. And as long as you didn't crack the marrow in the bones of the goat, he could throw the bones and the skin back together and the goat would come back to life. Um, So they would make a Yule goat every year and put that out for... I'm sorry. I only questioned it because I was really excited for a second because I thought maybe you finally bought Hannah goats, which she's been begging for for years. No, she begs for chickens. I've said that we could probably do goats because I like goats. Chickens are gross and I hate them. I will not. Having had both, having had both can confirm. I've had both in my life. I will not have chickens ever again. I will eat chickens. I will not have yard chickens. I, you know. And on that note, this has been Shakespeare talking about a Christmas carol. Well, look, my name's Seth Roars. Everybody got so excited about Yule goats. Though, do not confuse excitement and confusion. <laughs> also, when you're just like, oh yeah, my Yule goats finally came in. Oh, yeah. Anyways, this has been Shakespeare. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Chase Greenley. I got my Christmas spice. I got my jean jacket. Say goodnight, John boy. Ah, Dickens. Goodnight, John boy. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.